from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm Evan Earwicker, and we are here live at the 1115. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And we are here uh, with Pastor Bo Stern. Welcome, Bo. Thanks. I'm and, glad to be here. Yeah, and this is, this is a live setting. Um, it is. And, but can I just say yeah. quick that, Ben, I've done this a few times, and you have never once flubbed that intro, and it astounds me. Believe me, I'm thinking about time. it a lot today. <laughs> thinking about it a lot today. <laughs> That's its own special skill. That's cool. Yeah, everybody you, says that we can that. We don't. I actually have to say it every time, because yeah. Evan can't come up with something to help me out. Every time, yeah. In front of that. <laughs> So, but we're talking through some of the most listened to and commented on messages from the last year. And uh, one of those messages that, that came to the top, I think this was actually at the top, uh, was a message you delivered on shame, what it does in our lives, and how to become free of shame uh, in our lives just over a year ago. And so we want to talk about this today and uh, what it looks like when we kind of step out of that shadow of shame. And uh, kind of the overall uh, point of the message was understanding the role shame plays in separating us from the presence of Jesus and how essential it is for anyone who wants to be truly free. Um, so uh, we have a clip actually from that message that you gave um, talking about what this is to have shame uh, active in our lives. Let's take a look at that. We all have things in our history, addictions, bitterness, anger, frustrations, debt, um, wrong mindsets, all kinds of things that hover and, and kind of lurk in the background and keep us from wanting to move forward, even though nobody else can see them. Even though when we come into this room, we all look pretty well adjusted. We all look pretty shame-free. But there are these things that live beneath the surface, and they're powerful. And shame, I think, is one of the most damaging, powerful things we face. In fact, I'm going to say something kind of big. I think it might be more powerful than sin in its long-term effects because sin can be so quickly forgiven. We have such a gift with that. But shame is really hard to deal with. Yeah, shame more powerful than sin. Do you still agree with that sentence a year I later? I still agree with a year ago, Bo. Yep, I do. <laughs> and that's not true of every issue, but that is for sure true of this one. Yeah, I think shame in its, in its uh, the core definition would be disgrace. And so if you look at, if you separate that word and say disgrace to remove grace from someone, that's why it's so powerful. Um, it's, it really is pervasive throughout. And I started this message, I, I gave it to a group of women, 800 women one night, and it was so intense and powerful and important. And I was thinking, women just uniquely deal with shame. And then the more I started going, the more I realized, no, we all deal with shame. Shame is so damaging. And again, sin can be forgiven, but the effects of shame, if we don't get out from under it, it will direct the rest of our lives. One of the phrases that often comes up when we talk about shame is we, we use this term, living in shame, which mm -hmm. communicates to me that we almost find some kind of comfort there, even though it's shame. It's obviously, it's a bad thing. It's a negative, but we do find some comfort there. Does that, does that sound accurate? It does. I think sometimes we confuse humility and humiliation. Like there's that, you, you are humiliated, which is discordant and awful and terrible feeling. We are supposed to be humble. And so sometimes we just wrap ourselves up in unworthiness and live there. Sometimes it's easier to live 
unworthy and disqualified than it is to say, I'm going to believe for something more. I'm going to believe to feel like I fit inside his love. And it seems to me that the church, our job really is to be a place where people kind of come out of shame. And yet for so many, um, maybe church has been a place where they feel shame more than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like in life, in work, at home, I'm fine. And then I come to church and it's like, oh, wow, I'm ashamed of myself. Have we, you know, and not just our church, but church in general, have we been culprits in that? Sure. Yeah, I think, and you can see it as old as time, that. And I think the Old Testament to me feels like the place where we really discover humanity's response toward God that will always be broken if our view of him is broken. So in the Old Testament, we see a broken view of humanity toward the bro- their broken view of God. And in then Jesus comes and says, I'm going to show them God myself. I'm going to show them who God is. And then we can see like real God who forgives the woman and sets her free, even though everybody wants to stone her and has the right to stone her. Um, but so in the Old Testament, we see so many people get buried under that, but we see in Noah's son's response to his, he gets drunk and naked and one son points and laughs and the other son covers him. And, and it's, it's inarguably a failure on Noah's part. That's not how a patriarch behaves. Um, but the failure, too, on the part of the son, and I think we have, honestly, it's almost that stark. We have those two choices. We either cover or we point and laugh, and we are a point and laugh society. We just are. We are a, a point and judge. I think it makes us feel better about our own lives when we see a really public failure, mm. and we, you know, bat it around on Facebook and make it the fodder for the day and joke about how ridiculous people are, and I think it just makes us feel better about the stuff we know is lurking in our own background that isn't the same kind of train wreck, but we know it's there. And we even feel that way a lot of times about people in the church, big preachers or pastors of big churches. We, we see that they have some kind of public shame going on, and then that's outed, and all this stuff happens. And a lot of Christians even are like, ah, I always knew that you were sneaky and blah, blah, blah. And, and it, it's, it, in, a sense, in essence, what we're saying a lot of times is, ah, you shamed the church. I knew you would. And we feel good about it. How, how, can, we, how can we talk that way, I guess, about the church that we are claiming ourselves to be a part of? Yeah, I think we make ourselves a part of the problem in all of that. And, and it, when we remove grace from any situation, whether it it was a huge failure or something that's happened to someone. When we remove grace, we've aligned ourselves with the plot of the evil one. And I know that's a strong statement, but I believe it so strongly that we either, grace is either scandalous or it's nothing. Mm. And so we either give grace outrageously or we uh, point and say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that's not my life. I'm so glad that wasn't me. And I, I just think we've got to get good at being a culture that gives grace and honor and covering and makes people feel like you are exactly as unworthy as I am and I am exactly as unworthy as you are and yet we are scandalously loved. So how do we navigate a, a problem with somebody or navigate a problem in our own lives? I talk about sometimes how my high school football and baseball coach was a screamer and a yeller and really old school. Uh, And me, in kind of a sick, twisted way, I really liked it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked that he yelled at me. That's (laughs) um, weird. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) You should probably do that more in the office, Evan. And um, 
Uh, but really, all of it came back to uh, I knew where I stood with him at all times. Yeah, he always spoke his mind to me. I knew what, I, what was wrong and what were holes in my game, and I knew what I was good at because he would praise me for what I was good at, and he would be negative about the things that I was bad at. And so that led me to believe, like, man, that, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but sometimes I think we can, we can make the mistake of thinking, you pointing out my faults and you telling me what's wrong with me is you trying to shame me or you trying to drag me down. And sometimes it is with people. Sometimes we are trying to shame people, but how do we navigate it ourselves or how do we help someone navigate it so that we can point out the truth that's happening in their lives, but veer away from the shame game? I like that question because I think it's important to know what, what grace isn't. And grace isn't dishonesty. We, we always want to be honest. And I'm a truth teller by nature. And if you come into my office and say, what ought to I do about this dating relationship? I'm going to tell you, right, Evan? You did for many years. I, I did for many years tell you. <laughs> About 20 years ago. Hey, for yeah. you? Yeah, we have many of those oh, yeah, conversations. He, he was, he was I think we group. should change yeah. this podcast to uh, dating suggestions podcast. for Evan. I don't think anybody wants to. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, so, to me... There's a, there's a real line between when we talk about someone's actions and decisions or when we talk about who they are as a person. And so you as a person, I hope, through my words, will always feel just desperately loved by Jesus. But also, here's truth, and I can't alter truth, and I can't change it for you, and Jesus wouldn't change it for you. He's super straightforward in the New Testament. Yeah. He shows this outrageous love of God, but he is straightforward about you, brood of vipers. Why are you doing what you do right. what you're doing? So I think that that's important. And I think a, we, we can work all day to rebuild our culture, to give one another honor. But primarily, I think what we have to do is deal inside ourselves with how we respond to shame. Because I can't tell you how many people have told me I was in a sinful relationship or I was doing something sinful and I saw you at church and I felt ashamed. I didn't say anything to them. Wow. I didn't do anything. I, that was what they were feeling. And so you can feel shamed by the church whether or not the church has done anything to make you feel that way. We can't determine how we deal with shame based on how people respond to us. That's not excusing the church sure. needing to deal better with people and, and love them. But we have to deal with shame. We have to deal with it in our own lives and determine no matter how someone constantly comes at me, making me feel ashamed, making mm. me feel like I'm not worthy, making me feel like I don't belong, I am going to stand in the identity of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to believe that through his son, God smuggled himself into humanity and blew up shame from the inside. That's so good. Blew it up. And so I can stand in that, and I can stand in that whether or not everybody else does it right with me or not, because they're just not going to. Yeah. They're going to get it wrong intentionally and accidentally. So, Even that example speaks to the power of shame in and of itself, though, so that someone can see you and feel shame because it's so deep-rooted in their lives. That, that speaks to the incredible yeah. power of it. And you make a distinction in the message that you gave uh, between what shame is and the negatives of shame, but also the positives of feeling remorse for mistakes. We don't, I think you said it this way, uh, the person that doesn't feel remorse for mistakes is a, a sociopath. Sociopath, Sherlock. Yeah, that, yeah Sherlock I mean, teaches anyone? us all that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so what is the difference between feeling remorse that drives us uh, to, you know, repentance and moving in a better direction and then uh, crossing over into shame, which is negative and crushes us? Yeah, I'm not sure all the technical difficulties, but I would say one good place to look is how long it lasts. When you've been forgiven, you get to go free. And, and so I think there's some tools we can build into our lives. Um, that, that wasn't your question. But I, I think really looking at how long it lasts and how it makes you feel. Do I feel, like, unworthy but 
but greatly loved or do I feel unworthy and loathed mm. and not like I can't even approach God or I can't sit in these seats because no one would believe who I am or what I've done or what's been done to me. And so I think it's really important to see the distinction there. Like, has it been hanging around for a long time? That's not God. That's not guilt. That's shame. Mm. Um, does it make you feel um, like you despise yourself or despise living? That's not guilt. That's shame. Yeah. Does it spur you to action to make restitution, to make confession, to um, build habits into your life that will keep you from making mistakes. Again, that sounds more like something that's godly repentance leads yeah. to change, and it says worldly repentance leads to death. Yeah, interesting. And a lot of comments coming a in about sorrow. this. Uh, one question says, how do you get past a shameful moment when someone very close to you reminds you of that shame constantly? So oh, tell them to stop. I mean, tell them to stop. Because no, people only have access to your life as you allow it. And sometimes, again, we just keep waiting for the world to change to make our lives work. But I, I treat that there... I treat that in my life like uh, the house is on fire. I'm going to get out of that relationship. If somebody keeps reminding me of something or this is where you've blown it or this is how you could blow it in the future, get out of that or just set some boundaries. They may not realize that's what they're doing, but it's inappropriate. It's yeah. inappropriate on every level. It shouldn't be happening. It yeah. and, certainly shouldn't be happening in the church. And it church. makes it more difficult because shame can already come from all these different directions. You know, you're mm-hmm. reminded from somebody, but then also... Oh, you gain five uh, pounds at Thanksgiving, you feel shame. You don't need somebody telling you. I just feel really warm. I don't really feel shame. <laughs> Shame. Is that why it's warm feel so in here? cozy. I know. That's why I'm sweating. It's, this has gone too far. And uh, we need a handkerchief up but, here. Anybody have it? <laughs> but shame can come from so many different directions. I mean, you you are reminded from somebody else that you know, but also how it comes into your life isn't just what you've done. That you made a stupid decision right. and you went on and did that. Sometimes it's something that happens to you. Maybe mm-hmm. you've suffered abuse or something. I've, I've uh, helped a lot of kids before who their parents got a divorce or their dad left them when they were really young and they're suffering from the shame of a father that they didn't even know walking out on them because it comes into their hearts that they feel like they weren't desirable or something. Mm-hmm. Is The directions speaks to the power of shame as well. Yeah, it's true. And shame will always keep us hiding. It will always keep us back, keep our real selves locked inside. And so I belong to a widow's group. It's quite large. It's young widows. And we have this hashtag that's called Team Awkward. And it's that moment when you're in a conversation and somebody doesn't know you're a young widow and you say, well, my husband died and it's just deadly quiet everyone's just quiet. And you're like, so how do I reel the conversation back to something that doesn't make people feel so uncomfortable? And I can't explain it, but it feels, you feel shame. You feel like I just made the whole world uncomfortable. I don't fit. I'm an albatross here. I don't know how. And that makes no sense. Nobody wanted to become a widow, but the Bible itself says you won't any longer remember the reproach of your widowhood, the shame of your widowhood. So even Stuff you experienced wow. that wasn't your fault, that you had nothing to do with, can cause shame because shame is the is the original separator. Shame is the thing that I think it's the plot of the evil one that's always after us and trying to get us to feel like we're it, we're disqualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody texted and said, "I grew up in a church as a pastor's kid. The atmosphere was one that if you look good, everything was good, and that all has come crashing down. How do you pick up the pieces? How do you get past that shame?" When, I think as Pastor Steve said in an earlier service, the veneer falls off. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know anything about pastor's kids, would you? I wouldn't know anything about it. I have both been one and, and had owned some pastor's kids myself. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's, again, back to knowing our original identity. Who am I in God? And how much is that up for grabs? 
how much am I going to sell that identity off to whoever decides I should feel that way or however memories want to impact how I feel about who I am. So knowing who you are in him and knowing that if I'm nothing else in this whole life, I am loved and that's enough, I think is a pretty good blaster against shame. And so I've had to do... I think I talked in this message about my most shameful moment, the moment I didn't want to, I most didn't want to tell anyone about. And I said that I had, I had said something to my husband um, when he was very sick that was really wrong. And, and I had had to build a statement like a bullet that I shot into that memory every time it came to me. And it was, I cared for my husband faithfully but imperfectly for 30 years. I made a lot of mistakes, but neither he nor Jesus remembers them. And so that was something that I said, 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 said every time it hit me, every time I thought about that and felt like you're so, if people knew who you really were, if people knew what, you know, and it has really changed my whole outlook on that situation and on 30 years, and that's been really important. So I think um, it's really important to build something, build some weapons that you can shoot into those things that come back to you over and over again. Yeah. And um, who, who am I really? I'm not the... I'm not the cool pastor's kid I once was. I don't belong to the dynasty pastor's family I once did. But I am this, and this is who I will be, and this is what matters. Yeah. And Jesus spends so much of his ministry in the Gospels finding people who are pretty much shamed by their very mm-hmm. conservative, very religious Jewish society that Jesus lived in. And he goes to those people that are on the outside mm-hmm. of the cool kids, if you will, because of their behavior, how they were born, their background, their Samaritan, they're not full-blooded Jewish, they're all these issues, mm-hmm. and Jesus finds them, and in the way that he speaks to them, even if it's in a moment, I read it that he is acknowledging their value in spite of the shame maybe that has been thrown on them, and I wonder if we can do a better job inside the walls of the church of yeah. taking that as our example. We sure can, and I think... Um, the early church fathers, they had an, an immutable truth was that confession was an immovable part of discipleship, that you couldn't become a true follower of Jesus Christ without true confession. And some of that went off, of course, in my opinion, in becoming confession to a priest, because James clearly says, confess your faults to each other and you'll be healed. Um, again, my take on that scripture is not necessarily that we'll be healed of every sickness, but that we will be healed of the sickness of shame. If we live in a culture where we can openly confess and say, guess what? I am not who I appear to be sometimes on the outside and be received and loved inside of that. I think that is really powerful. And that's the community that I think Jesus came to establish on planet earth. One where people could be their true selves, Uh, without hiding because the opposite of confession is concealment and so concealment has power over you anything you keep hidden has power over you and you live inside of that so when he says who the sun sets free is free indeed free for what free to be who they really are free to free to look like they look free to live like they live free to make mistakes free to be sinful unworthy creatures and still be loved inside of his grace and inside of community wow so maybe uh, during our turn and greet at the beginning of the services, we confess can have, your sins. Just confess yeah. to a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever secrets, you're most you know? embarrassed. <laughs> turn and confess. It's not really can the turn I address and that real quick? Yeah, I, in the last year, have have been seeing a therapist who's been just. It's been rough, man. It's been so good, but he he just hasn't let up on on me 
getting to the bottom of some things in my life that I've always kept hidden, some things that I experienced that I just hadn't talked about. And I kept saying, it's okay, I just have made it small. I've made it small and manageable. But because I had made that pain small and manageable, he kept saying to me, where have you taken that shame? Where, where'd you go with it? And I was like, just kind of uh, in here <laughs> where it's icky. And he was like, how's that working for you so far? Well, not great. And so he made me go through a course of sitting down with people, not everyone, not from this stage, but with people who were impacted by the situation and with people who I knew would walk me through it into freedom with grace. Wow. And so like a half dozen people that I was able to sit down and go, okay, here's my real story. Here's what you really need to know about what I've experienced in my life. And it has been life changing hmm. to, to get with people that really could say, I love you no matter what. I, the world's still standing once you share the thing you never thought you could share, and it's been really beautiful. So, And that was all up to me to do. Wow. No, The church couldn't have come around me and convinced me to do that. Nobody knew about it. Yeah. I had to do it. Yeah. So are, are you a proponent of professional help counseling for people? Uh, several people have talked about depression in the comments, uh, things that, that maybe years ago we would just say, well, we'll just pray and that'll be it. But you talk about having a therapist. So what is the value then of saying, hey, I need, I need help? And if you're a proponent of it, why? Some people, I, I know, believe that that's kind of a cop-out for the church. You know, that we say, well, if we just pray hard enough, it'll come out of it. And if you're not praying, then you don't have the faith in order to go. Well, if you are a proponent of therapy, which obviously it sounds like you are, then why is that not a cop-out for the church? Um, well, so people come to me with their despair, and I am glad they come to me, and they do it often. And I will ask them, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how desperate are you? And they'll say, gosh, I'm like a 10 or I'm a nine and a half or something. And I'll say, oh, I'm like a theologian. I can do like a four. I'm not trained <laughs> for that. I don't, I, I could tell you, I, I know what my knowledge base is and it's Bible and spirituality and I believe in it. So yeah, I'm absolutely, and, and so we'll connect them with someone who's trained and skilled. I am a fan of, of connecting with someone who knows God and who can help bring those things together. And there's some really great therapists out there who do both. And if you land with a therapist that, that, isn't, that doesn't give you like a faith-based view, I think it's good to maybe also have some pastoral counseling. But yeah, I'm a huge believer in counseling. It's been huge, huge for me. And I don't have the answer. Why isn't it just enough to pray and wave our hands and say it's done? We, there, are, there are a lot of things we provide here that are healing and life-giving and, and wonderful, but there are also things where we partner with people to get to people who have skill. But, you know, we also don't do appendectomies here. We don't have the training. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you could have we just pray Jim's your appendix out. And then... <laughs> He's been doing them for three years at least. I had no idea. <laughs> That's not true. Um, I want to show. I like that you had to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're just clarifying. People, we're just, people were sure. <laughs> like I need an appendectomy. Uh, I want to show one more clip. Get one at the prayer wall. Yeah, so exactly. Right. I want to show one more clip from your message. We're gonna pivot right off of that point, um, where you talk about people who have experienced shame because of suffering in their lives, mm -hmm. and how we should respond as people of faith in this community. So let's take a look at that. But more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
We already have inside of us what we need to deal with shame. And part of it involves leaning in a little bit to our suffering and saying, I refuse to cave into the idea that just because there's something hard in my life, it means I don't fit into the beautiful American church. Just because I struggle doesn't mean I don't fit here. Just because I feel disqualified in some areas doesn't mean I'm unworthy to worship the same God with the same people who died for all of us. We have to be a culture that says, when you go through suffering, I go through suffering. We walk through these things together and we, like Jesus, despise the shame of it because it will hold us back. Wow, good, yeah. Do you ever watch yourself speak and you just want to go, simmer it down. <laughs> just bring it down just a notch. a little. Man, <laughs> sister, yeah. the coffee it, is up. <laughs> that is kind of cruel to bring somebody on stage and be like, we're going to just watch you and see your reaction to yourself. So, so scared of myself. <laughs> so it's I kind am of a, sorry for you guys. Do you have shame after a watching that? Bit, no, maybe yeah. a little bit. <laughs> So it's kind of a tough scripture even that you brought up, right? Yeah. We glory in our sufferings. Yeah. Now, when you were walking through your husband going through ALS, and in the darkest moment, when if somebody came up to you and patted you on the shoulder and said, hey, be encouraged, yeah. you know, you should glory in this. Yeah. You know, I find it hard to believe, yeah, that you wouldn't have yeah. some kind of physical violence for them. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so how can we make this actually work in the tough times? Yeah, it, it's hard. And I'll tell you this, there's no easy way to get to be a single person at 52. There's no easy way. You, either you've been through a painful, the death of a marriage or the death of a spouse, or you've been waiting a long time for something that didn't happen. Um, but there are vastly different ways that Christians respond to people in all those circumstances. Hmm. I mean, I got so much sympathy and grace and empathy and love and Twinkies on my desk, but um, many of my friends who went through divorce, the death of a marriage at that time, really felt great shame. Um, but, but still... We have this scripture that stands as a foothold for our hope that says, I glory in my suffering. I lean into it because I know it is a portal through which I can experience the freedom, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus Christ. I know it. And I don't have, I know how empty that can sound to someone who's in the middle of suffering. I only know that I've experienced it to be true. And so our suffering, again, one thing that helped me a lot was to say, I will not feel humiliated because I'm alone. I will embrace humility. I I feel humbled. I feel humbled that people stepped in and, you know, clean out my gutters and fix my car, do whatever. I feel humbled by those things, but I choose not to be humiliated by them. Humiliation brings confusion and humility brings clarity. Humility helps you know who you are and that you're flawed and that you're broken, but you're also being restored. But humiliation is that swirl of confusion where you cannot see beyond your own situation or your own sorrow or your own whatever. So lean into humility, but forsake humiliation. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody else text in. uh, Guilt says, I've done something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Mm -hmm. I made a bad decision that affected my marriage. My husband forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. 
and believe that I'm not a bad person, so how do I move forward? Yeah, I'd say A, build, and just step one, build a bullet. Build a statement that you're going to say into your own shame every time. And I'm going to tell you this is not about your husband, and it's not about your relationship. This is about you letting yourself go free. And so build a statement that you can say every time that is a truth statement. And whoever texted that, if you want to email me, I'll help you build one. But say it all the time. And every time it hits you, keep saying that. And that's how you match and align your thoughts with the thoughts of Christ toward you. And then see somebody. See somebody yeah. who's going to help you work through some of those things. And, and say, I'm stuck. You sh- I'm going to say you shouldn't be stuck. You're forgiven by Jesus and your husband. You shouldn't be stuck. You get to move free. And so we... It's work. It's work to live free in this world where everything wants to push us back and make us small. Yeah. Which, which is more difficult to come out of, shame because of mistakes or shame because of circumstances that have happened to us? I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. I really do. I think, uh, you know, I think be, just because I've talked to so many people um, in both situations, Ben alluded to people who have been abused um, when they're small, and I cited statistics in my message that one in four uh, people be, before the age of 18 have been sexually abused. Other reports say roughly 67% wow. um, have been sexually abused. Already our, our image gets distorted so quickly. And so um, I don't know that it's any different. Yeah. I really don't. I, and I think it's different for different people too. Yeah. Yeah. And so offering the Bible as permission to come out of shame, I think, is, has really been what resonated. I remember when you preached this, the amount of response we saw at the end of that service, people mm-hmm. just flooding up here mm-hmm. to be free of that shame. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. That's yeah. grace. Yeah. That is what he's all about, is saying you don't have to live under this shame anymore. Maybe you thought religion said, yeah, you do, but yeah. you don't, Yeah. right? Yeah, and sh- we talked about how freedom is a gift and a skill. It's an event and a skill, and so that moment where we leave our stuff at his feet and say, I'm walking away from this, and then all the moments after that where we keep saying, nope, not mine. Yeah. Nope, that's not mine. That's not my suitcase. I don't carry that anymore. I don't belong to that anymore. I am this, yeah. and it feels frustrating that it's work, but it's worthy work. It's good work, and everyone else you know is doing the work or they're not. And so let's be those who do the work and those who help other people. Let's just intentionally give honor to other people, even if we think they don't deserve it. Give honor. I don't think it can hurt. Yeah. (laughs) And let's create an environment where this is the norm. Yeah. Right? Where this is what people expect. Yeah. That we come into this place not to pile on shame Mm -hmm. or point fingers but to find freedom from it because that is the gospel, right? Yeah, we yeah. Even gotta scream our heads off just yelling for people to make it. Yeah. I just wanna cheer people on and if you're doing it wrong, I'm just gonna trust that his grace is gonna straighten yeah. you out. That's so good, that's good. Yeah. That's good. All right, well, we are out of time today. That went fast. Um, I would encourage you, uh, all four of these messages have just been great today. You can find our podcast anywhere you get podcasts or on our website at behindthemessage.org. And uh, with that, we just want to thank you, uh, 1115, for being here today. 